Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, listen, good morning. I don't, I don't, for those of you who I have not met yet, I'm Derek Lamar Smith. I'm one of the preachers here at Church of the Apostles. And on behalf of our lead pastor, David Cumbie, uh, you're not only welcomed here, you're wanted here. We're grateful to have you here. But most of all, um, our dear friend and brother, John Tucker, is going to be our celebrant at the Lord's table this morning, and we're grateful to have John with us. Will you join me in welcoming him and giving him a warm Church of the Apostles welcome? Amen. Uh, so we're grateful um, to, to have all of you here. Now, let me begin by expressing my heartfelt condolences to the Baylor alumni in the room who, who, who were this close and um, to the A&M fans who finally won a game, uh, although you didn't play a, a real team. I mean, but that, 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 and and uh, uh, to the um, TCU. I mean, come on! I, I tell you, Horn Frogs, man, you guys are getting it done this year. I'm I'm, I'm grateful. And yesterday. Uh, our school back home, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, uh, beat Bethune-Cookman University handily. Amen. <laughs> and I'm always excited about that, uh, that great school on the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee, Florida, the school of love and charity. That's, that's Florida A&M University, or FAMU. Well, this morning, uh, the Psalm uh, 136 is our text this morning. And so I want to ask you, how are you experiencing God's goodness in your life right now? How are you experiencing God's goodness in your life? life. So often we can't see the goodness of God in our lives either because we're one comparing ourselves to some person either real or imagined, someone we think we should be or we think we should have, had, have, have accomplished something by this point in our lives, or if we're not comparing ourselves to something or someone else, whether real or imagined, we're usually complaining. We're complaining about what we have or what we don't have, or we're complaining about what we, we want or what we don't want. So if we're not comparing or complaining, we're, all, we're, 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 we're almost sure to be coveting. We're desiring something. It's hard to recognize and see God's goodness in your life when you are comparing yourself or complaining or coveting. 
That's why it's important to regularly look back and reflect over your life. It's good to look back, to reflect, you know, circumspect means to look around, introspect, you know, to look within, retrospect, since everybody's going retro, that's what God is doing here in this text. He retro, he's, the, he, he's challenging, the psalm is challenging God's people. God is challenging his people through Psalm 136 to look back. I, I look back a lot. I, I do. I, I spend time looking back because it keeps you close to the ground in humility. Looking back. And, 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 and here's, here's the one thing. God uses his work in the past to give his people hope in the present. That's, that's my one point. That's, that's my take home. We look back because it's when we look back that, that we, we can see that God uses his work in the past to give his people hope in the present. That, that, that's the most important thing I'm going to say, and I want you to hear it. I want you to receive it. I want you to mull over it in your heart and your mind because God uses his work in the past to give us, you and me, men and women who are following Jesus Christ every day in discipleship. He uses his work in the past to give us hope in the present. That's what God does. You look back over your life, your, your story, the experiences, the ups and the downs, the wins and the losses, the successes and the failures, both known and unknown, both public and private, thank God for his grace that didn't allow us to be exposed in our sin. Through all of the series of events, our immaturity, our selfishness and self-centeredness, our pride and hubris and arrogance, our, our, our spiritual blindness and deafness, God has used and uses his work in the past to give us hope in the present. That's what he's doing here in Psalm 136. In, 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 in Jewish tradition, Psalm 136 has been called the great Hallel or the great psalm of praise. It, it does not use the word hallelujah, but it's called the great hallel for the way it rehearses God's goodness to his people and encourages them to praise him for his merciful and steadfast love. Are you with me? 
Now picture, picture this. Come on, in your sanctified imagination, picture a great gathering of God's people assembled in the temple courts. That's us right now, you and me, and a priest, uh, 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 our dear friend, uh, 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 deacon, don't tell me. I'm getting older, but it's working out. I still look good. Uh, uh, uh. Jack's dad, Eric, a priest or a Levite would, would, would call out a reason to give God thanks. And the people would respond with the refrain, we said it, for his steadfast love endures for how long? Forever. And the best way to describe this term is Yahweh's unconditional, loyal, covenant love. It's God being merciful. It, it's God's grace. The Hebrew expression chesed is, 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 is God's faithful love. It's, it's, it's a quality, Linda, that binds People together. It's his kindness. It's God's goodness. Chesed implies God's favor. It's grace. It conveys the unceasing nature of God's commitment over the course of Israel's history. His chesed, chesed. It's scripturally equal to the New Testament word for love, agapao. Now, we often hear agape, but agape is the noun. A noun is a person, place, thing, or idea. So, so we say agape. So God, when we say in, in 1 John 4 and 8, she says God is love, it's saying God, theos, is agape. He, 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 God is love, person, place, thing, or idea. But the verb agapao is powerful because it teaches us something. It teaches us that love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is not sensual. Love is an attitude. Walk with me now. Love is an action. That's what the Bible is teaching when it says agapao. Love is, I like this, love is action taken for the benefit of another. I need to park there parenthetically because I know I'm ruffling up some stuff because I just told you love is not an emotion and love is not a feeling and it's not sensual or physical. And some of you are doing trying to reconcile, you know, this in your head. But I'm here to tell you, if we're going to have biblical love, it's not it's not emotional. It's not sensual. It's not it's not physical. It, uh, 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 biblical love, agapao, is a volition. It's something that you will to do. But watch this. You cannot will to do it in your own strength and power. You need another power outside of yourself to do the love that God commands you and I to do in Matthew chapter 22. 
You can't even, okay, 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 let, let, let me put it where you can get it. Now, you can't even stick to a diet or an exercise routine faithfully. So how are you going to do Matthew 22, 37 through 40? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is, love God with everything you have. For this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your who? Neighbor as yourself. So the Bible doesn't teach the brotherhood of man. The Bible teaches the neighborhood of man. You're walking with me? And so he says, he says, I want you to do this, but I want you to notice something that you may have not noticed, but in a smart crowd like this, I'm sure you have. Inherent in the command is no power to do it. There's an implication, implication in that. Inherent in every command that God gives is no power to accomplish the command. That's why followers of Jesus Christ are received the gift of God's spirit so God can do the loving that you cannot do on your own. God loves your wife and your children through you. God loves your wife and your children through you sometime in spite of you. Are you walking with me? This is what kind of love that God has for us. It's a love that always takes an action for our benefit. Let me tell you, it's one-way love. It's not love that, it's not, it, 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 listen, listen, when you learn and allow God to love through you to others, you don't need to tell, you don't need them to say, I thank you for it. You don't need this, you don't need an appreciation. You don't need it. It's okay to get it, but you can live without it. You know why? Because God is doing it through you and you're doing it for God's glory and for God's honor, not for someone to say thank you or I appreciate you or I recognize you or anything like that. See, that's how you know you're growing in love because I, I do it with no strings attached. I do it without expecting anything in return. That's, that's love maturing. Y'all walking with me? See, see when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're led by God and you're filled with God's spirit and you allow God to love through you, you love with no strings attached. Oh, I wish I had time. I could unpack it, but I don't have time. That's what real love is. And that's the kind of love that God demonstrates to Israel. And then he demonstrates it ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross by doing for us what we could never do for our own selves. That's what, a, that's what loving kindness is. That's what steadfast love is. For his love has no end. God's love doesn't grow cold or lukewarm. God's love is never, you know, on again and off again sometime like our relationships. It's not like the stock market. It doesn't fluctuate up and down. It, it never weakens in, in capacity. It never decreases in volume or intensity. Thank you, Lord. The faithful love of the Lord drives 
every single thing that God does, everything God has ever done or allowed to be done in your life was driven not by his anger, not by his retaliation, because that's not the God of Scripture. Everything that God has done or allowed done in your life has been motivated by his love. Loss, death, separation, end of relationships, beginning of relationships, closed doors, open doors, what seems to be missed opportunities, every single thing God has done or allowed to be done has been motivated by his love for you and me. And the psalmist invites God's people in, in Psalm 136 to praise him as the God of true power and miraculous wonder. Most of the rest of the psalm describes many of the ways and many of the wonders that were done and are expressions of God's love. Let's unpack it. Number, let's see, three or four headings. Who God is, what God has done, what God continues to do, and how we should respond. First, who God is. I want you to look at verse 1 through 3. The stanzas, the first stanza calls the congregation to thank God. And the word thank means to confess. That's what you're doing. Based, and it's and, and to thank God based on his goodness. And then what does this, the, the, the psalmist continues to do? I love this. He continues to give us reason after reason to thank and praise God. You don't have a reason to praise God? Open up Psalm 136 and you can just rattle off a, 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 a reason after reason to praise God. And notice this. Each reason is connected to who God is is and his superiority to the other gods. Because now, just as then, there have always been little g gods. What the psalmist says, he is greater than any of the supposed gods or lords of the other nation. He's bigger than Baal and Ashtaroth and, and, and all the, the other gods. Listen, he uses three names for God in verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, give thanks to the, to the Lord. Then he says, to, 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 uh, to God. And then he says, to the Lord. Notice, I want you to pay attention here. He says, first, give thanks to the Lord. That, the, the, the Hebrew that he uses is the word Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. He's making them go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with whom he made the covenant to make himself a people, to give his people a place, and to give the people his presence. He's reminding them, and he's reminding you and me in this room, not right now, that the God that we worship is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. He is Yahweh. Wait, but then he says, but he's also Elohim. I like that. He's, he's Elohim. That's the name for his might. 
He's not just the God that makes covenant and keeps covenant, but he ain't no weak God either. He's not a God you can put up on the shelf and take down and cover with a sheet when you don't want him to see you doing what you shouldn't be doing or hear what you shouldn't be, hear what you shouldn't be saying. No, he's the mighty God. He's strong. He's that big word, omnipotent. He has all power. God doesn't have to work out like you and me. He's innately strong. You know, he's innately holy. You know, like water is wet. You know, like heat is hot. Ain't no dry water. Ain't no cold heat. Heat is hot and water is wet. And God is mighty. That means that no matter what burden you might be carrying or wrestling with or struggling with, whatever is over your head is still under God's feet. That's good, Derek Smith. Stay right there. He's, he's Elohim, but not only is he Yahweh and Elohim, but, but the psalmist says, but he's Adonai. He is Lord. I'm going to get in trouble, but that word Lord means master. And if somebody's your master, then you must be their servant. And if you're their servant, that means you submit to their authority. That means you submit to the authority that they put in place, whether you elected it or not. Amen. I'm in Romans chapter number 14. I, he is Lord. What is he Lord over? My health. My appetite, he's Lord over my finances, how I spend my money. He's Lord over my emotions. He's Lord over my relationships. There is not one iota of creation for which God is not Lord over. He's Lord over your sleep. The psalmist says that sleep comes from the Lord. Not one thing in your life, not one decision. There's no happenstance or coincidence or, as my wife says, co-inky-dink. There is none of that in God. God is Lord. He is sovereign. He, he, listen, God rules, super rules, and overrules. Thank God. He, 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 this is who he is. You and I don't have a weak God who can't handle our depression and our fear and our struggle and our pain. We don't have a weak God who can't handle our doubt. We have the almighty Adonai. That's who we worship. That's who we come to in prayer. That's why the, 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 Peter said, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Every battle that you won, there was the great warrior, God the Father, fighting for you. I'm doing my assignments for school. The wisdom I got, the knowledge I got, it came from God. Engineering, you, that, that's, that's the Lord. Attorney, you're in the courtroom arguing, you're negotiating, that's the Lord. Those gifts, those gifts, those, that, that comes from God. He's the Lord of Lords. Listen, all Lords in the plural are summed up in this Lord in the singular. Listen, I like this. 
he is more lordly or lordlier than all emperors and kings condensed into one. That's who God is. Do you know that God? I'm, not, I'm talking about in your everyday life, I, I, at work, at school, uh, 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 when you're kicked back watching the game, having an adult beverage. It's, do you know this God? This is a God who, 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 who loves you, who's taking care of you who's watching over you and your children. I love sometimes when I'm praying because I live here in Texas. My mom lives and children live in Florida, but my parents live in Florida. And I talk to God and I say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not going to ask you to go because you're already there. That's the God that we serve. That's what the psalmist is trying to communicate. This is the God who's deserving of thanks. That's the only right response, right? Thank you. But not only who he, who, who, who he is, the psalmist begins in verses 4 through 9, he talks about what he has done. I'm sorry, in verses 10 through 24, he talks about what God has done. He, listen, he says he brings forth. I like that. He, 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 he creates. That's who he said. He, the psalmist starts the, at the beginning of time, pointing us back to Genesis 1. The Lord had the wisdom to plan creation, and he had the power to execute the plan, and he did it all by the power of his word. That's some kind of power, I tell you. See, the dead gods of the nations could not perform the wonders that the God of gods and the Lord of lords did. He weak. Those, those, those little namby-pamby, weak gods, puny gods, had no power. I love the way Isaiah would talk about them. And the psalmist, they say, they made of wood and stone. They, they can do nothing. You, 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 you remember when uh, 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 Elijah was up on Mount Carmel and, 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 he, and he told the priest, uh, he said, uh, uh, you know, call on your God. I love it. It's one of the best stories. And, 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 and they just called on him all day. They start cutting and mutilating himself. And, and Elijah said, well, call louder. Maybe he's on holiday. <laughs> and and they, they, they kept calling, you know, Eric. And they say, maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> you know, he's having a go. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is not the God that we serve. We serve the God who creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing by the power of his word. You know why you're here this morning? Not so you can check off that you went to church and worship before Thanksgiving. So if your mom asks when you go home, are you going to church, you can give her the right. No, you're here this morning, and maybe you are, you've not trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation yet. But let me tell you something. I can testify, and I know people in here that can testify. I know God creates because I am a walking billboard. I'm a demonstration that God creates. 
because he took something with my life and he is continuing to make something beautiful out of it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's you. That's me. We're God's new creation. Then Paul, then John, I love it in Roman in, in, in Revelation 21. He said, but the new stuff doesn't keep doesn't stop. He says, and behold, I saw coming down from heaven a new heaven and a new earth. And she was beautiful, like a bride Woo. adorned for her husband. And you know, wives are beautiful, but no, but there's always that wedding day. They never look like they did. They're the most beautiful on their wedding day. Now imagine that. Because that, that new heaven and that new earth is for you and for me. Because if we're going to be a new people. And if God makes you a new people, you're going to need a new place to be. That's what God has done. He creates. But not only does he, he create, he rescues. He brings us out. The focus here, he's talking about the exodus from Egypt. God brought them out. It, it brought out is a phrase the Jewish people used to describe their deliverance from 430 years of slavery. Each year as they celebrated Passover, they looked back and remembered what the Lord had done for them. And the Exodus is not just a picture for them. It's a picture for us of our rescue by, by, by Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who shed his blood to set sinners like us free. He rescued. He rescues, he creates, he rescues, but also he guides. He, 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 he leads us through. We remember what he did for his children after he delivered them out, out of bondage in Egypt. Then he brought them through the Red Sea, and then he brought them through the wilderness. And then while they were there, he led them in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. God guides. So what are you afraid of? Where's God guiding you that you're afraid to go? That you keep negotiating or dismissing? God is guiding you. And let me tell you, if God is guiding you, he's inviting you into a new place of mission. He's the missionary God, remember. He's the missionary. He invites you and I to join him in mission. He comes down. In Jesus Christ. And then, then when Jesus goes back up, Psalm 24, open up, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. And, and when Jesus walks in, the Holy Spirit walks down and on Pentecost Sunday fills the believers and he continues to fill men and women. Every day, God is guiding you. Don't you be afraid. If he's guiding you, then he's with you. If he's guiding you, he's gone before you. Not only does he create, not only does he rescue, not only does he guide, but I love this, he conquers. God defeats. 
defeated every single enemy that his people had. Every single one. No exception. Anytime they were defeated, because they didn't seek the Lord. It wasn't because the Lord wasn't with them. It wasn't because the Lord wouldn't keep his promise. It was because they were walking in disobedience and rebellion. But every single one of God's, his people's enemy, God defeats. Now, you may have some enemies. I don't have any enemies. I have some confused friends, but I don't, I don't have any enemies. Because I had an enemy, death, but Jesus conquered him. Why should I fear death? Death has no, he's, 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 he's toothless. He has no teeth and no claws. All he can do now is hold your hand and take you to glory. And he's holding his head down because he's ticked because he's been defeated. He has no power. He has no strength. He can't do nothing. All he can do is when you go to sleep in time, he turns you over and you wake up in eternity. And then he, 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 he's kind of like Sisyphus. You know, all he can do is roll the stone up the hill and bring it back. That's all he can do. He just, you lay down in time and he turns you over to the Lord in eternity. That's all he does all day. That's a dreadful job. <laughs> he conquers. And let me tell you something. God is still conquering. I know people who've been sick with cancer and all kinds of diseases for which the medicine was not doing the job, and then somehow, <laughs> someone reversed, called back. He's still conquering. But what does God continue to do? He continues to provide. Let me tell you something. All the resources that you have, the open doors, the opportunities, what we thought was a closed door was really a new beginning, a fresh start, and a divine reset because that's what God continues to do. No, but, 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 but I want you to notice something that I did as I kept reading through this psalm. Notice that the psalm never mentions Anything about Israel's rebellion or disobedience or murmuring or complaining or idolatry, it never mentions their failures, it never mentions their lack of faith in God, it never mentions one time their great sinfulness. Not one time. And, but but, but what, I, what I realized, that this omission is not a downplaying or dismissal or whitewashing of their history. I, I, I'm, help me, Holy Spirit. This psalm is an acknowledgment that although their sins were great, God's grace was greater. So how do we respond? We're in the life of our church. We're in the season of giving in our calendar year. Thanksgiving is on Thursday. Then a few weeks later, then there's Christmas. And this is all the sold time of the year when we as a church family are asked to submit our annual giving pledge. So I, I would encourage you, I, Kira and I have talked about it, so we plan what we're going to give this year. But I want to encourage you to pray and submit those pledges uh, by the end of the month. 
and you'll find a card out in the entryway, or you can go to the church's website. I thought about you, Eric, because I thought about John Wesley. As you pray about giving, remember to ask the right question. John Wesley was asked about giving, and his response to giving was uh, uh, not how much of my money should I give to God, but how much of God's money should I keep for myself? That's really the right question, isn't it? Not how much of my money should I give to God, but how much of God's money should I keep for myself? What is Jesus speaking to you this morning? And how will you respond this week? Because to say thank you is a distinctively human activity. Those two words, thank you, they, 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 they describe and summarize our positions as receivers in a divine relationship. So any day of thanksgiving is thus, like I said, a confessional day. A day of expressing a short creed that sums up our entire existence. Thank you sums up our entire existence. God gives and we receive. To thank God Hebrew style is to confess who he is. That, that, that we are saved. That he loves and we are the beloved. He saves, and we are saved. He gives, we receive. And I like because Jesus is truly what in Greek we would call thanksgiving. We're getting ready to come to this table, and we're going to celebrate the Eucharist. Holy Eucharist. It means in Greek, thanksgiving. Jesus is thanksgiving because he embodies both divinity and humanity in one person. He's both God the giver and man the receiver. We look at Jesus as one from whom every gift comes from us. The one who is the gift of the Father and the one who is the priest who is representing us all. That's what he's doing right now. Jesus, the great high priest, who's standing, seated, I'm sorry, at the right hand of the Father, doing what priests do, making intercession for us. And he makes this intercession for us because he has already been our substitute and died in our place. And we 
unworthy. Come to the table to receive, to give him back the praise and the glory that belongs to him because of who he is. That's who Jesus is. He's your priest, wrangling with your messy sinfulness. And then, I love this. When, he, when they laid him on the cross, I love this. I, boy, I tell you, I, black church, it'll be tore up around here. When, he, when, they, when, when they laid him on that cross, he was the sacrifice because the offering had to be sacrificed laying down. But they made one mistake. They lifted that cross up. When they stood him up on that cross with that nail in each hand and that, that, that spike in his feet and that pierce in his side and that crown on his head, they messed up because while he was laying down, he was the offering. But when they stood him up, he became the priest, offering up our sin sacrifice, making it perfectly acceptable to a holy God. That's why you and I can be in this place now and live life the way we live now. We can live just because he lived and he died, but he didn't stay dead. No, no. He, he, he stayed dead for th three days. He, he, I, I love it. But I, I, I can see why Joseph gave him his tomb because he knew he was going to only need it for the weekend. <laughs> three days later, Jesus got up out of that grave. God raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he got up with not some power, without, not with a little power. He got up with all power in his hand. Then he started floating up, floating up past Earth's atmosphere, <laughs> past the ionosphere. And the side, the, the, he, he, he kept floating up. But be, before he got going, he said, I'm coming back. And you and I can sleep in peace tonight. Our hearts are filled with gratitude today. Because that same Jesus who got up with all power is going to raise your body up on that day with that same power. And you can sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth, it's terrible, it's difficult, it's hard sometimes, it, it's unimaginable sometimes, but life is worth the living just because. Not that he just lived, because he lives. Let's pray. Lord, it's your spirit the third person of the Trinity that does the work. It's your spirit that produces the fruit. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit's presence within us will transform us
until Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, is formed in us. We ask it all in the strong name of Jesus. Every believer said, Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.